Matthew chapter 18, you know, just kind of studying through this, there, you know, you study prophecy. I'm having a great time on Sunday and your, your heart, your mind is lifted up above the things of this world. But then there are chapters like this one where God kind of grinds down into us and says, look, this is what I want you to be like while you're there. And it sets you aside from the world, you know, the love you have one for another should be the mark and all men will know you're my disciples by that. In Matthew 24, he says, but, you know, in the last days, because wickedness shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. Literally, the agape of many will grow cold. So it seems he's talking to believers of one sort or another there. And uh, I think with the tension around us uh, daily, the news that floods over us constantly, I think sometimes we then, or speaking for myself, can be a little short in patience, a little little ill-tempered sometimes, like, okay, here's one more straw on the camel's back kind of a thing. And I think, you know, on the other hand, this is the time when we can really reflect and be what he wants us to be again. So I look at this chapter where it's talking about forgiveness and it's talking about the way we should relate to one another. I'm reminded of Corey Ten Boone and uh, the things that she went through and how after the war her sister was killed there in Robinsbrook and the, the things they went through. And uh, she thanked God for the lice when they were there because the German guards didn't come in. And she said, because the lice came... Uh, we in the fleas, we could have Bible studies, and they left us alone. She said it was great, you know. She said we thank the Lord for the lice and the fleas all the time. But she also talks about, um, you know, a number of years later, speaking in a church, and a man that came up afterwards, and he he put out his hand and said, uh, Corey, I want to know if you'll forgive me. And she said she looked and she recognized it was one of the German prison guards that was responsible for the death of her sister. And he said, I've gotten saved. My life has changed. And I need your forgiveness. And she said, just all of this hatred. She said, I knew the Lord wanted me. He said, you put it out his hand. And she said, I knew the Lord wanted me to respond, but I felt like my hand was going to wither. And she said, but just out of sheer obedience... She said, I extended my hand. He began to weep. And she said, the love of Christ flowed through me like I had never experienced it before. And there's some things here tonight I think the Lord would say to us about forgiveness. You know, he's putting things before us about except you repent and come as a child. You're asking who's the greatest in the kingdom. You know, you're not going to enter in. He warns about stumbling uh, the little ones, you know, he, say, he says, their angels do always behold the face of my father who's in heaven. You want to know who's the greatest? My dad. And he says then, for I've come into the world. If you look there in verse tw- uh, 11, he, he says, for the son of man is come to save that which is lost. You want to understand why my father's the greatest? Because he's given his only son that whoever will believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And in verse 12, he says, now, what do you think? How, how do you think about this issue of 
forgiveness and stumbling and the greatness in the kingdom. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which one is gone astray? He takes us so into this parable. Now, look, this is, you know, inspired a lot of artists. You see a lot of pictures of the Lord, you know, coming or the shepherd carrying one sheep in his arms, you know, and the picture how he, he steps aside from the flock from the 99 to go after the one you know, that's lost. Um, you know, we hear people say things like he would have died just for you. If you were the only one that ever lived, he'd have come and died for you. And here the Lord is sharing. Now, this is the heart of heaven. It's so much different than we are. Because so often in our experience, when someone's gone astray, we kind of say, well, I could see that coming the way that guy is. You know, just I know. You know. And, and we're not. I'm not sometimes the one that would go after that one on behalf of my master and say he loved you you've gone astray it sounds like there are wills involved you know just and yet, and yet the challenge here is this is what the kingdom's like you, you guys should know if a man has sheep a shepherd and they understood all that and one of them leaves doesn't he leave the 99 and go into the mountains and he seeketh, continually seeks that one that has gone astray? And if, now you know this is a parable, okay? It's a picture, if. Because if the Lord's looking for you, there's no if. You know, the Lord's not going to say, hey, Father, I tried my best. I mean, I looked in the mountains. I looked, you know, everywhere, and I couldn't find that one. So this is a parable. It's a picture. It's not, you can't build doctrine here. He says, if so be that he find it, verily, I say unto you, and Jesus loves to use that, just truly, I want you to listen. Verily, I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. There's just something about that recovery. Look, heaven is going to tell the tale. Eternity, the ages ahead, will tell the tale of one individual who's returned because someone has reached out to them It'll tell the tale forever after the heaven and earth have passed away, rolled up like a scroll and are gone. That tale of that one, that story, that testimony of that one that someone sought after will tell its story forever and forever and forever. He says he rejoices more over that one that was lost than the 99 that went not astray. Even so... It is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Even so, like that story, 
your father in heaven, his heart is that not one of these little ones. Now, he had been talking about children, but certainly he's talking about those who are young in the faith and so forth. Not one of these little ones should perish. Now he moves to a more practical situation with that truth. He says this, moreover, which ties it to what he said. And I like this. If your brother trespass against you, you can cross out that F and put when in there. Yeah, that's our experience in the church. When your brother He says, if your brother, now, that's our context, or your sister, shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So look, this is this is very interesting. Spurgeon says this is the offended speaking, uh, seeking after the offender. You know, Jesus gives the picture of his father, of a shepherd going after one who has gone astray. Now he takes it a step further and he says, look, if someone has offended you, go to them. It's the offended person seeking the offender. Now look, there's a flip side to this, and in, in Matthew chapter uh, 6, I believe, uh, he had spoken to us about that. He says, he says, if you come to the altar to worship, and you know that your brother has aught against you, you you've been the offender, leave your gift at the altar, go back and make things right, and then come and worship. So, so on the side of the believer who realizes, wow, I've blown it. I'm, I'm the offender. I've done something wrong. The Lord says, what you need to do is, you realize that as you're coming to worship. What's the point of coming to worship? You're not willing to be obedient and you broke somebody's heart out there. Go back and make that right if you're the guilty one. And then come back and leave your gift. Then come back and worship. That's the flip side of this. This one is for the person who's been offended while the hypocrite's trying to worship. This is the one, he says, if your brother offend you, then the mandate is you go to him. It says, and you go to him alone. Jesus obviously loves a quiet settlement. That's the way heaven does things. It says in Genesis 32, verse 24, and when Jacob was left alone, there wrestled a man with him. Jacob, the schemer, had sent his wives and his kids and his flocks over to face Esau and stayed back, you know, figured, well, if you don't kill all of them, maybe I'll have a chance, you know. And there he is, the conniver, he's alone. And it says, when Jacob was left alone, the wrestle the man with him. I'm so thankful that the Lord will wrestle with me alone. He has no desire to humiliate me in, in front of people. He has no desire to do that. When there's things in my heart that are wrong or I, I've done, you know, I'm so thankful he'll come and wrestle with me when I'm alone. It says, if your brother's offended you, <clears throat> go to him alone. The offended going to the offender. Go to him alone. You don't need to 
put it on. I hate, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all of this stuff. We it becomes electronic gossip, you know, and we're defriending people, and and people are freaking out because somebody took me off their list. And people are living in this world. They live in there. They're not in reality anymore. They live in there. Personalities are in there, and every politics is in there, and everything that's going on in the world is in there. And you know, you 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 you're one of these dating things. You put a picture in there yourself with biceps and muscles, and you're some little you know you know it's so it's people believe it. People believe it. That's where they form their opinions. That's where they socialize because it doesn't cost you anything, and you're not vulnerable. He says, you go to the one who's offended you. Don't start a pity party. Don't gossip about them. Don't start one of those sanctified prayer meetings where you can tell her at the prayer meeting about what the person did wrong to you. He says, you go to him alone, remarkably. I love that. And if he shall hear thee, he says, thou hast gained thy brother. He says the purpose in this is reconciliation. The goal is winning your brother, not winning the argument, not proving that you were right and he was wrong because what he did. He says if if he hears you when you come to him, you've gained, and the word gain there is from the marketplace. It means to acquire or to accumulate wealth. Isn't that interesting? If, If your brother who's offended you will hear you and realize, you know, they're right. They're right. Will you forgive me? You're right. I blew it. It says if that happens, you know, what what you've done is you've gotten your brother back again. You've gained something that was lost. You've gained your brother. You've acquired a spiritual wealth. You've accumulated spiritual wealth. This is wealth that will stay with you for eternity. And you know, look, that's the way it should be done. You should go to a person. I, I get, you know, through this whole thing, I get letters. My, my wife was reading a letter to me the other week, and it was like, Pastor Joe, we're so glad that you got over the COVID, but I'm disappointed in you, but I'm disappointed in you, but I can't believe you're doing this. You don't care. I'm a disappointed, you know. I said, honey, is there a, a phone number or a name on that? She said, no. I said, throw it out. Because if, if there's a name, it's so cowardly. Because if there's a name or a number, I can read it and I can call the person and say, you know what, you're right. Would you forgive me? You know, just love to Sunday just see and say, I blew it. Or, you know what, I think I have a different opinion than you. I want you to understand me. Would you stop up, let's talk or call? But if they just skin you alive and don't even put their phone number. My pastor Chuck Smith taught me years ago, if you start reading a letter, it's critical, flip it over. If there's no name and no number, throw it in a round file. You know, because Jesus says, you know, that what you need to do is get together and do it alone. You're, you're trying to gain something spiritual here. There's a, a wealth that you should be acquiring that's not like worldly means. And he says, but now look, here's verse 16. If he will not hear you, if he refuses to hear thee, then take with thee... It says one or two more. And he's going to say two or three in the second half of the verse. You, you take one or two or, or three other folks with you. Look, 
Don't take your posse. Take mature, you know, solid, good counselors with you that are concerned about the cause of Christ. Not they're you know they're not backing you up with a piece. You know they're 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 there to say this is what's at stake. This is the kingdom. This is the Lord. You know. This is his. It's blood-bought. He's the one who died that we might enjoy these things. You know, so he says, if he, if he won't hear you, then go back. You don't start here. He says, then go back with two or three witnesses. And I understand it's safer to talk to some people with witnesses than it is without, because sometimes, you know, if it's the wrong person, they say, they said this, and they said that, and they said this. I'm thinking, sometimes I'm listening thinking, no, I know the person. I didn't know that. I know they did not say that, but... It says, then go back with two or three witnesses, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. It can be established. This is what's wrong. This is what's going on. You know, you follow the process. Then it says, and if he shall neglect. Now, that word neglect means he is not willing. The will of the persons involved in this. If he refuses is the idea. If he neglects to hear them, he says, then tell it to the church. But if he refuses, he neglects to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So he says, look, last step is you you go with the church. I would even say... That's probably the pastors and the elders. That's probably the church leaders. You go to someone, you have no desire to, you know, you drag them up in front of 5,000 people and humiliate them in front. Look, there are public transgressions. And there is a time to deal with sin publicly up here. I've been through that, and it is not, diff- it is not easy. It is very difficult, and it's heartbreaking. And even in that, you, you want to be as gracious as you can possibly be. But there are times when that needs to take place. I would say here, when it says take it to the church, this is one person offending another person. You know, this is not, you know, somebody, you know, dividing the entire church in moral failure, stealing money. There's a time to deal with something publicly. But but he says, if he's not going to hear the two or three that go with you, then take it to the church. This is the second time in Matthew, by the way, in the New Testament, the word church is used uh, back in chapter 16. If you remember, he said, you know, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, he said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. That's the first time. This is the second and third time in the New Testament the church is spoken of. So he says, if he, if he refuses to hear them, then you take it to the church. And he said, and if he refuses to hear the church, if he doesn't want to hear the collective counsel of God, then let him be unto thee as a heathen, an unbeliever who needs to be evangelized, or a publican who's a traitor. Let him be as somebody who's an unbeliever, or let him be like a traitor. Look. We find um, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with the situation there. And it's a man who's in sexual sin with his father's wife, his mother, 
by marriage, by his father's marriage. And uh, he, Paul says there, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So no doubt that is something that the elders or the leaders of the church are involved in. Do I understand all the implications of that? No, I don't. He's going to say not even to, to eat with that person. Don't fellowship with them. Because what happens if somebody's in willing sin? You know, we get somebody who comes to church, they're transgressing the word. We're patient. We wait a while. We think, you know, who knows what they, they were a heroin addict last week, or they were doing this, or they just got here. Let's let's watch them grow. Let's spend time, you know, let's give them grace. But as time goes on, there is a time when we say, you know, what are you doing? This is what the scripture says. And then finally, if you're not willing to listen to the word of God and you're not willing to listen to the men that teach it, it's a travesty for you to be here. What you want, we don't supply. Go out there and get it and have your full of it. And when you're done of it, then come back and see us. You might look like something the cat drug in, but we're going to be telling the same story we were telling when you left. Then you come back and see us. And we, we've written letters to people and said, look, you're not welcome here now. All the pastors will sign it, or the pastors. And, you know, sometimes if we hear then they're in another church somewhere, some churches are desperate. If you have a pulse, you get in, you know. But if we hear this, we'll call that other pastor and say, you know, this person did this year. They, they they refused to yield to the teaching of the scripture and to the leadership in the church, and that's why they're out there. And if it's a if it's a good guy, he's going to say, "Look, uh, thank you for letting me know. I'll take care of it on my end." Because if somebody would come from his church here, and we find out he was put out of that church, we'll call that pastor and say, "Hey, this person's here." We're not going to let him stay here because you dealt with an issue in his life and you put him out. We're sending him back to you. And we tell the person, look, there's an offense. You've left a broken thing in another body, in another church. You go fix that. And when that pastor tells us things are right, then you're welcome if you feel led to worship here with us. You know, and and the, you have an immune system, you know, that... That's that's how how many times in a lifetime do you have cancer? How many times in a lifetime do you have a disease? You know, I have always been healed. My immune system. Here I am. You know, uh, you know, people don't die of good health. You know, so so far in the journey, my immune system has done its job. And and if a, the body of believers has an, a healthy immune system, then there's a means of doing this. The best way for immunity to work is you go to the offender and talk to them and make peace. And if it works out, you've gained your brother. If that can't happen, then go back with two or three people that can, you know, hold their tongue. They're they're mature. And if that's refused, then there's a time to go to the leadership in the church. If it's something private, something everybody doesn't need to know about, then that gets dealt with. If he refuses to hear the church, then you say, you know what, or she, you don't belong here. You know, you need to go out. Uh, Paul says that, that you should put this man out of the church. 
Don't even fellowship with him. Because if he thinks that some Christians are going to hug him and say, oh, those other guys are mean, you know, let's go out and eat together. You know, that What happens is he can then continue in his sin if everybody cuts him off, like the scripture says, not because you want to be mean, but because that's the instruction of the Lord, then that person gets in that place of, of sanctified loneliness where the only way they have to look is up. They can't find somebody on the horizontal anymore to pat them on the back. And when we're obedient to Jesus, who loves that person more than we do, then that person is a left alone to look up to heaven, and that's where he can make it right. When we have someone who wants to come back after they've been sinned, we said, all right, here's the deal. What was wrong between you and Jesus in the first place? That's what broke down. So make things right with him. Make things right with your family or your spouse. Then come here and, and sit under the word and, and begin to grow again and so forth. And, you know, Depending on what the deal was, that determines sometimes the level of ministry you're going to be involved in after that. Um, and then Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, so um, he, he says, I beseech you that you would con- confirm your love to this one uh, I did right and that you forgive him and that you bring him back into the church so that he's not overwhelmed. He's not lost. You you restore him. Paul says, I see he's been out there. He's been under te- church discipline. It's been effectual. Bring him back. Here he says, if they won't listen to the church, this is Jesus and it's his church. He says, then you let him be to you as an unbeliever. When you see him, you try to evangelize him. A publican was a traitor. That's a tough, it's, this whole section is, is tough in some ways. Then Jesus says this, look, verily I say unto you that whatsoever ye, now I'm going to, you want to take note of this because look, Back in chapter 16, if you remember, he was talking to Peter. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said it to Peter, and he said it in the singular. So some people want to say, oh, Peter has the authority in the church. Well, here, these are all plurals, and he's talking to all the disciples. This is ours as well. He says, verily I say unto you, all plural, you guys, gals, whatsoever all y'all shall bind on earth shall be be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven so uh, the idea is the, the scribes would wear a key on their sash and it was the keys of the kingdom that's why jesus said to peter i give you the keys of the kingdom whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven what you loose the idea is the church has moral authority we do not have political authority We have no authority in Washington. It's not our business, but it is our business to say this type of sin is wrong. It's not condoned by Scripture. We do have moral authority to say this should not happen because the Lord forbids it. We do have moral authority to speak to certain things. We don't have political authority. Some Christians, they get stuck there. He says here, this brother, you're going to put him out. And, and here's why. Because whatever you bind on earth, the, these are the tenses, will have already been bound in heaven. 
whatever you loosed on earth will already have been loosed in heaven. So the idea is Jesus gives the church more authority. There are things that are bound. That is, they're obligatory. There's an obligation. You shouldn't be in sexual sin. You shouldn't be drunk. You shouldn't be taking drugs. Those things are bound. There's other things that are discretionary. They're loosed. People always want to use this binding and loosing the devil and all this. That's not what it's saying. There's certain things that are loose. Is it okay to play cards? Play Uno. You know, it's okay to play cards as long as you're not betting away your wife and your kids and your house. I mean, you want to play cards? Uh, uh, play, I don't know. You know, is it okay to go to the movies? Some movies, yes. Some movies, no. It's like can Christians dance? Some can, some can. You know, uh, you know, there's certain movies. Fine, you go. There's certain movies. You, you don't want somebody to see you there. So those things are up to your discretion. You know, you you have the spirit, you have the word of God, but there's other things that are fixed. You know, you go through the Ten Commandments. The only one that's abrogated is keeping the Sabbath. The church doesn't have to do that. It's still wrong to steal. It's still wrong to kill. It's still wrong to commit adultery. You know, it's still wrong to worship other gods. That's all, you know, sticks. Those things are still bound. So... He, he says here in relative to this person that they have to exercise discipline in his life, he says, look, understand, whatsoever things you bind on earth have already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you guys, all of you loose on earth, have already been loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, for the reason is where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there am I, the omnipresent one, the risen Lord, there am I in the midst. And by the way, it's if two or three of you gather together in my name, there am I already. We come to prayer meeting on Sunday night. He's waiting for us when we get here. It's not like, oh, i got to get down there. There's more than two. You know, that's not the issue. And, and look, Charles Spurgeon says this. If there's two of you, there's no reason to neglect the, the prayer meeting. If there's two of you, there's no reason to be delinquent from the prayer meeting because it says if there's two or three, I'm in the midst of that. So do you come to the prayer meeting to talk to Jesus or do you come to the prayer meeting because it's a popular thing to do? You know, he says here, and it's in the context of discipline, you know, these, these verses. I say unto you that if two or three of you, you agree, you're touching this. It's in, it, the, the idea is to agree here, symphonia. We get the word symphony from it. All the instruments are playing together here spiritually the way they're supposed to. If two or three of you agree on earth as touching anything, the idea is what's bound, what's loose is, is, is relative to the authority of Scripture. He says, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, verse 21 brings us to Peter. And Peter does this thing when you go through the Gospels and you see Peter interacting. Peter's mind always gets stuck back somewhere before what you just studied. So Peter... 
got stuck in verse 15. That's where he's going to go here as, as we look at this. There in verse 15, Jesus says, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, you know, you go to him alone and try to fix it. Peter couldn't get past that. He's going to chop people's ears off. You know, this is Peter. And, and then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And Peter thinks he's being very magnanimous because the scribe said you can forgive another man three times, maybe four times, depending on what they're doing. Peter says, I'm going to do this, Lord. How often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And he's expecting to hear, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, Simon Barjona, but my father, which is in heaven. You know, he thinks, man, I just, you know, I crossed, I went the extra mile. I did everything that's going to make my Lord happy. You know, here's the interesting thing about forgiveness. And he's going to say it here. Forgive is to give ahead of time. You're going to be around Christians. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to be around, if you're married to a human, you're going to have to forgive. In this world, that's a challenge. You know, uh, forgiveness is a part of Christian experience. There's just no way around that. You're going to exercise that. The, 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 the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I'd be glad if it was done there. But then it's long-suffering, meekness. Temperance. I don't, well, I don't want long suffering, Lord. That means I got to suffer along with somebody. Those are two words I don't like together. Long suffering, you know. So he, he, Peter speaks up, you know. He he says, how many times if a brother sins against me? Because the Lord said you go back and make peace with him. He said, how many times do I have to do that? Seven times. And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until. 70 times 7. Now that's 70 times 7 is only used one other place in the Bible, and that's in Daniel chapter 9. And it says there's 70 sevens determined on Israel to bring about Jerusalem, the kingdom, forgiveness, restoration. What Jesus says to Peter, that word until is very important. You, what you do is you forgive until. 70 times 7, until the kingdom comes, until it ushers in, until there's a fullness. It's your responsibility as Christians to forgive other people. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things from Spurgeon uh, is this, and and I'll read it, and it just reminds me so much of myself and the amount of grace I've received from the Lord, he, he remarks on he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21, around Christmas time. He says, Lord, save me from my sins. By thy name, by the name of Jesus, I am encouraged thus to pray. He's going to be named Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Lord, save me from my sins. By the name of Jesus, I am encouraged thus to pray. Save me from my past sins that the habit of them may not hold me captive. Save me from my constitutional sins, that I may not be the slave of my own weakness. Save me from the sins that are continually under my eye, that I may not lose my horror of them. Save me from secret sins, sins unperceived by me, from my want of light, 
Save me from sudden and surprising sins. Let me not be carried off my feet by a rush of temptation. Save me, Lord, from every sin. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Thou alone canst do this. I cannot snap my own chains or slay my own enemy. Thou knowest temptation, for thou wast tempted. Thou knowest sin, for thou didst bear the weight of it. Thou knowest how to succor me in my hour of conflict. Thou canst save me from sinning, and save me when I have sinned. It is promised in thy very name that thou wilt do this. And I pray thee, let me this day verify the prophecy. Let me not give way to to the tempter or to despondency or to any form of evil, but do thou save me unto holiness of life that thy name, O Jesus, may be glorified in me abundantly. Not fair that somebody could speak English like that. Charles Spurgeon just makes everything he says. You know, this this guy's the master of the English language. So, you know, the Lord says this is the way you forgive until the kingdom comes. You forgive your whole earthly experience. This is coming from heaven. This is what He's done for us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he says in Romans 3.23. And by the way, the tenses are there. All have sinned and are continually coming short of the glory of God. It's, it's, it's something we face every day. You know, Alistair Begg said to me, Joe, he said, I preach the gospel to myself every day. Every day. Because I have people in church, eh, don't you get tired of talking about the cross? Don't you get tired of talking about the blood? Don't you get tired of... <laughs> if you were me, you wouldn't either. I, when I get my up in the morning, you know, in the Old Testament, they started the day with the, 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 the sacrifice of the lamb in the morning and the sacrifice of the lamb in the evening. I got to live that way. First thing I want to see when I get up in the morning is a sacrifice lamb. And the last thing I want to remember when I go to bed at night is the evening sacrifice. And the morning and the evening sacrifice needs to be our lives And then he wants to see that replay in us, obviously. So he says to Peter, no, I want you to forgive until 70 times 7. Look, therefore, now he's going to tell us a parable. And this parable is really razor sharp. Um, You can't build doctrine on a parable. A parable is an earthly picture of something that's to bring a spiritual truth before you. Um, Para alongside of balo to cast. So you're casting a spiritual truth alongside uh, of a physical truth to help people have light and understand what it means. So verse 23 says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is, you know, in, in your experience. It's likened unto a certain king which would take account of his Servants, And when he had begun to reckon, he's checking the books, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents of silver. Now, it's telling us several things here. This king is immeasurably wealthy. 
immeasurably. You could never he, account for the wealth of this king. You know, I have a friend who lives on the West Coast, and he invested in these uh, oil wells, and he was making $50,000 a month on it. And he said, oh, you know, I didn't even realize it until I talked to my accountant. I'm thinking, what a way to live. You know, I knew if I was making $4,000 a month, he's making 50000 doesn't even figure into the rest of his experience. Here's this king. Now, the guy owes him 10,000 talents of silver. Um, one talent of silver was equivalent to 15 years of labor. One talent of silver for a working man was equivalent to 15 years of labor. So if he owes this king 10,000 talents of silver, he owes the king 150,000 years of labor. To pay it back, he's got to work. Now, how rich is the king that he didn't even know this, this scoundrel had taken that? But he owes the king he's, a hundred. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, he could never pay it back. Look, this is going to be a picture of our king and how he's forgiven us. Because what we owed him, we could never pay back to him. You know, with his own son, he laid on him the iniquity of us all, and it pleased the Father to crush him instead of us. It says here, when he began to reckon, he found this one servant, and he said that owed him 10,000 talents of silver. But for as much as he had nothing to pay, his Lord commanded for him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had so that payment could be made. Now, look, by the way, this is a parable. God doesn't sell us and your wives and your kids. And, you know, the idea here is sell them off. You know, they treated people that way in that day. They were slaves. I'm going to get 50 cents for the whole crew, but... He owes me, can't pay me, let's, let's do that. The sad thing is this picture here of a debtor, of sin, sin has a price. And how many of us, the price of sin has affected our wives, our children, everything we have, it says. Wonderfully, we're told in Ezekiel, if we are the victims of that kind of sin in somebody else's life, we don't have to knuckle under the same judgment that will come on them. God tells Ezekiel, I don't want to hear the children of Israel say anymore that our our teeth are set on edge because our fathers drank sour grapes. He said, that's nonsense. He said, he said, if there's a man and he's a wicked man and he does all this stuff to the point of sacrificing on the mountains, satanic worship, shedding of blood, he said, he'll pay for his own sins. But he said his son is not going to pay for his sins. He said if his son lives righteously before me and he does what's right, he's not going to have to pay for his father's sins. And there's people who teach ancestral sin in the Bible. It's nonsense. Ezekiel 18 blows the whole thing out of the water. It's the purpose of the chapter. And he says he does what's right. God said he honors me. I'll care for him. He's not going to have to pay for the sins of his father. He'll be blessed. He'll grow. And then if he has a son, the grandson, and his grandson doesn't act like his godly father, but he goes out and starts to do all the old wicked and crazy stuff again, then God says, but I'm not going to bless him because his dad was a good guy. He's going to be judged for his own sins. So this is a parable here. 
There's a picture of the wife and the kids being sold because of the debt that the father had created. It's just, I think, telling us that no one sins to themselves. Nobody sins to themselves. When we sin and compromise, it affects those around us. Every joint and every ligament supply positively and negatively. And the servant, therefore, verse 26, fell down and he worshipped him. Isn't it interesting? Saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Which don't even say that. Are you kidding me? Have patience with me. I got to wait for you to work for 150,000 years so you can pay me back. That's not patience. That's more than patience. The the guy shouldn't have wasted his breath. Be patient with me, and I'll pay you everything back. Then the Lord of that servant, and that's the whole point. Look, Jesus is setting up a picture of the sinner indebted to the Lord, unable by any means to pay back what he owes. His Lord is immeasurably wealthy and holy and pure, And the sinner is immeasurably sinful with a debt that he can never handle or pay back. We always say that he paid a debt he didn't know because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Comes from here. He says, he says, then the Lord of that servant, look in verse 27. He is moved with compassion and he loosed him and forgave him the debt. He set him free. I'm glad to be loosed from my sins. I don't know about you guys. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. This is like until 70 times 7. This is, you know, this kind of forgiveness is supernatural. Spurgeon said, mercy that's measured is not divine. Mercy that's measured is not divine. I watched my pastor for years. People would stab him in the back and do stuff and steal from him, you know, and just... And sometimes, you know, McClure and Rawl and those guys were all around Chuck, like Hoss and Little Joe and Adam saying, Paul, let us kill the guy, you know. And he, no, 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 he can't do You know, and, and I watched him. I said, Chuck, I said, how do you do this? You know, how is it that, you know, some of these people around you, you turn the other cheek, you go the extra mile. He said, remember this. Grace received becomes grace bestowed. Grace received becomes grace bestowed. If you grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ, you realize what it cost heaven for you to sit here. If you realize more and more you owed an immeasurable debt and you still mess everything up today. Here you are. You're a sanctified sinner. All have sinned and continually come short of the glory of God. So it says here he forgave this immeasurable debt. And then he expects something. Here's the picture. But it says, but that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So they're both servants. They both stand on equal ground. They're both accountable to the same master, the same king, the same Lord. It's not one's not above another. They're both servants. He found a fellow servant which owed him a hundred pence, three months salary. Hundred denarii, three months. He owes them, which you can pay off three months. You got a credit card. You already know that you can pay off three months, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat. 
saying, pay me what you owe me. Chuck said, grace received becomes grace bestowed. It says, it says the same guy. It makes the, 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 takes the time to tell us the same servant that was forgiven an unimaginable debt. Somebody then owes him something and he treats him completely different. Look, I'm not telling you this for you. I read through this and it just split me open. You know, because people hurt me. People, believe it or not, I'm, I'm Pastor Joe, but I'm human. I have feelings, the same ones you have. And there are times when I feel cut pretty deep. Then I want to find my posse. I'm going to get a bunch of, oh, Joe, don't worry, you know, or I'll go out and shoot him this afternoon. You got nothing to worry about. You know, just, you know, and, and... and I don't want to be the person that takes a fellow servant by the throat and says, you did this to me because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords said, Joe, you did this to me, but I forgave it all. I have wealth you don't understand and you have debt you can never measure. I've taken care of that problem because I sent my son to die in your place. So that you could say, Abba. I could say, Son. He took him by the throat, said, Pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Now you want to take note of this. He besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. It's the same exact phrase. He said to the king in the first place and had no ability to pay it back. This guy can pay it back. And he uses the same exact verbiage you're gonna, you see in verse 26. He says, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not. Please, please take note of that. He would not. doesn't say he could not. It says he would not. Because we can. You know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If somebody hurts our feelings, we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, what I want to do is strangle them. Like this guy, I'll put my hands around their neck. But I know it's right to forgive them, Lord. I know it's right for your daughter, Corey, to put out her hand and shake this guy's hand. I just don't have the strength to do it. But I'm going to do it in sheer obedience to you. My heart's not in it. My mind's not in it. And somehow the Holy Spirit begins to flow when we step into the place we're supposed to be in that unbelievers will never step into. And it says that he would not. That's different than could not. He would not, but he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. How do you work while you're in prison? It's one of the problems we face in our culture. You get thrown in prison because you're in debt. You're going to be. You don't make a lot making license plates. You know. I'm not sure how you're going to pay your way out of that. And when his fellow servants, so there's other servants who realize that they have the same master and king. When his fellow servants saw what was done, they were noticed this very sorrow. It isn't just they felt bad for the guy. It says they were moved. There's a visceral. They were very sorry. And they came and they told unto their Lord all that was done. 
They ratted the guy out. They went, you know, they were so grieved. And his Lord, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, please notice this in verse 32, O thou wicked servant. I, I don't want to hear Jesus say that to me. I don't know about you guys. O thou wicked Joe, you know, O thou wicked servant. And, and please take note. He's saying that to him, not because he didn't pay back an immeasurable debt. He's saying that to him because he refused to forgive his fellow servant. This is a parable. It's what Jesus is answering Peter. Do I forgive seven times? He said, Peter, no, till the kingdom comes. It needs to be the way we live. And he says to this one now, oh, you wicked servant, because he refused to forgive his fellow servant. Not because he didn't pay back the immeasurable debt. And this stings, personally. I, I think, Lord, you know, do, do I always, when I'm offended, go to the offender? Do I, Lord, you know, take a deep breath and realize forgiveness is just going to be part of my Christian experience? Lord, this is somebody you died for, and they're not any more sinful than I am, and I'm getting in. If I get in, anybody should get in, you know. He says, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, every penny of it, everything, because thou desired that of me. Isn't it amazing? That's why Christ forgives us, because we desire that of him. You know, you try to share the gospel with your unsaved friends, say you just need to go to Jesus, ask them to forgive you and come into your heart. You know, he says, I did it because that's what you wanted. I forgave you an immeasurable debt because you desired that you came and you asked me that because you desired me to do that, shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had on you? Isn't it interesting? This, the, the Lord is saying, this is what I want to see. I, don't, I never expected you to pay me back, all y'all sinners, what you messed up of my holiness and my glory. I never expected you to take away the offense of your sin and what was you know what I don't even want to look on that you did what I do expect from you is when you realize what it cost me to forgive you that needs to be contagious you need to demonstrate that to other Christians it ain't easy I'm not saying it's easy I'm saying it's divine I'm saying sometimes we're not willing to do it but we just have to put it out our hand because the Lord tells us we have to put it out our hand and then the Holy Spirit can move because our body's where it should be and our attitude's where it should be. And we're in position for him to forgive and to work through us. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had on thee? And it says, and his Lord was wroth and he delivered him to the tormentors. I don't even like the way that sounds and don't want to find out what they are. He delivered him to the tormentors. I'm glad this is a parable, by the way. He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. Now, by the way, there are tormentors. If you're a bitter, unforgiving person, there are tormentors. One of them is going to be acid. Another one's going to be ulcers. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to get high blood pressure. 
Uh, you're going to get coronary artery disease. You, you know, you're gonna, if, you, if you are bitter and angry and filled with unforgiveness, they're still tormentors. And God's gracious, he might let them wear you down, but there are still tormentors. You like to sleep, you ain't going to sleep. The tormentors are going to keep you up at night if you're bitter and unforgiving. And, you know, um, this is just a picture, so I'm trying to figure out how to deliver it. Then he says, so likewise. There's, there's, there's an analogy here. So likewise. You know, Jesus told us to pray, for, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus says here, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do so also to you, if you not from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. And again, this is not doctrine. He says it's like this. So likewise, you know, that this is the picture. And it's what he's asking of us. And now he's going to take it into marriage next week. Uh, the same pathos here. But, you know, I go through this chapter and I think, Lord, uh, I kind of need this every day because I'm so selfish and so self-centered. And I ain't just saying that. Ask my wife, ask my kids, ask the person driving in front of me one mile too slow. You know, there's something of, there's things in me that are not yet Christ-like. And I look at him, turn the other cheek, and he did that, though they ripped his beard out. Go the extra mile, and he did that, carrying a cross. I look at him, and he hasn't asked us to do anything that he himself hasn't done before us. And I find then I constantly need him living through me to do any of these things, because I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm so thankful. You call his name Jesus because he'll save their people from their sins. Lord, save me from from my sinning past. Save me from the sins in my present. Don't let me lose the horror of them. Save me from presumptuous sins I don't even recognize because I lack light. You know, Save me from the sin that I'm unaware of that, that could sneak up on me and take me off my feet one day because I'm not paying attention. You know all this. You bore it all. You carried my sin 2,000 years ago. You know more about my sin than I do. If I get up tomorrow and sin and do something stupid, I'm going to go, I can't believe it. And you're going to go, what do you mean I carried it 2,000 years ago? I believe it. Why do you think I died on a cross? So what he says to you, you're my kids. There should be a family likeness. They should be able to say, you know, I see a lot of your father in you. see a lot of your older brother in you. Right? Certainly it has to happen here. In in, in the church, amongst God's people, all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. This is love that a man lay down his life for his friend. It has to be here. There has to be something reflected when the unbeliever comes in and he sees light here that he doesn't see out there and doesn't know how to define that but it speaks then when people do us wrong for us to initiate then and go to the offender and say look this is what happened and it hurt my feelings but I want you to know I love you I want you to know I understand because 
Christ forgives me every day. My attitudes, my inward thoughts that I wouldn't want on a screen somewhere, you know. He's just there with me. I have to pray every day. I'm saying, I'm not telling you what you should think. I'm saying I have to pray every day, personally. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Every day. Let me have a heart, Lord, like David did when he said, As the deer panteth after the water brook, so let my soul pan after thee, O Lord. You know, we can have church, we can have all these things, but isn't it an interesting time right now with everything going on, how much is boiling down to our personal relationship with Jesus? And I think what a delight that must be to him. What a delight. You know, it's a delight for me to be face-to-face with one of my grandkids or face-to-face with my kids when they're, you know, just, you know, or with your spouse or, you know, just, but in, in the context of all those relationships, you know, a wife, sons, daughters, grandkids, still, it's a group of sinners. Even the littlest one, mine. No, you know you're glad they're not six foot five. You know, they kill you. Um, so, so in in our everyday daily experience, we have a chance to reflect something that the world can never reflect. You know, Spurgeon used to say, you know, some go in one ear and out the other, but nothing goes in one eye and out the other. Light, light is not heard; it's seen. Salt is not heard is tasted if we're to be light and salt in this world and we'll talk about that on Sunday a little bit um, people can see us, people can taste it there's something it's a weird, it's weird the guy's talking about revelation and nobody's got ties on and they're all kind of sitting around, the weirdest thing is they didn't even take an offering but you know, you go there and, uh, and he said but something there's something, you could taste it. you could taste it, there's something and if we're loving the way we're supposed to, that should be happening. Look, I remember the last revival, the Jesus movement. The thing that was overwhelming was the love. You know, when we were worshiping in the, the beginning, Robin, Heidi, you were up here, and, and Matt, you know, I just sit, I sit in that worship and I hear that. I think, Lord, there's something happened here. The world doesn't know anything about this. We can have this joy singing these things about you. And right now, what a great time. I pray that the Lord gathers the unsaved world to the church. I pray that people that are broken and empty and freaked out and terrified would see something different than us. What a great opportunity. My other prayers get get us the heck out of here. Blow the trumpet. Will you just get us the heck out? You know, but if we're here, let there be a purpose in it, Lord, as long as we're here. Amen? Okay, let's stand and pray. If I went too long, you have to forgive me. It doesn't matter because I just gave you that whole lesson on forgiveness. <laughs> I don't feel bad at all. It's just another part of the lesson. I should have gone to 930 and see how you did. Lord, thank you for these things, Lord, and that we can laugh together, that, Lord, we can feel these things together, Lord. Tears in our eyes together, Father. Joy in our heart together, Lord. Love that we never knew when we were unsaved. Hope. 
that transcends this world, Lord. We're so rich from your immeasurable riches, Lord. And your word says you became poor that we might become rich, Lord. Thank you so much. And as we lift our voices now, Lord, as we offer our hearts to you through song, let it be a sweet savor, Lord, before your throne. We think it, what it must be like for you to look down on this crazy, immoral, violent world, that great darkness. So as our voices and our hearts rise from, Lord, this Philmont Avenue, the Mountain of Brothers Avenue that we're here on, Lord, in this city of brotherly shove that we live in, Lord, let our hearts and our voices rise before you. And, Lord Jesus, let it bless you, Lord, to see the reward and hear the reward of your suffering. And, Lord, we do ask it in your name. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your patience and your care, Lord, that you're going to continue the good work you've begun in us, Lord. We've never known that kind of love, Lord. We are growing in it, the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of it, Father. We thank you so much, Lord. Hear us now, we pray in your name. Amen.